Skookum. We're in chapter 23 and we're really close to completing this book. And so we're going to finish off the life of Josiah and then start the real downward descent to exile for uh, Judah. All right. Remember, uh, the king has just gotten this prophetic word from Huldah. And how does he respond? Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests, and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that has been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, and to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people joined in the covenant. So this is his response. He gathers together every important person. They read the book of the covenant, which um, does that mean all the five books of Moses? Does that just mean that part of Exodus that is starts in, I think, chapter 16 of Exodus and then goes for a few chapters there, which is the base, basic form of the covenant. Uh, I'm not totally sure. I think that might be it. But they read the Mosaic covenant, and then the king makes a covenant that he's going to do it. And the, the people join with him in it. It's a good thing. Now, we don't actually have a story like this of the king just committing himself to uh, biblical obedience. Verse 4, And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the keepers of this threshold, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal and for Asherah, and all the hosts of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem, in the fields of the Kidron, and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priests whom the king of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem, those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellation, all the hosts of heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron. And he burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. So he's just on a rampage. And it's wonderful. It's uh, He's an iconoclast. That's what they call him, an iconoclast. Somebody who tears down the idols of the people. And he's just getting rid of everything that his grandfather Manasseh set up. And... Uh, and I mean, there's that one scene where he grinds the dust of Asherah on the common graves. And that reminds me of, remember when Moses came down and found the people um, worshiping the golden calf and he destroyed it and he ground it to dust and he threw it in the river and made them drink it. And there's something that just is like this act of desecration where he took the golden calf and he turned it into the people's urine. And uh, now he's going to take Asherah and he's going to grind it to dust and he's going to make it like a thing of death. He's going to cover graves with it. So he's he's going out of his way to desecrate these these idols. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for Asherah. And he brought so he's he's like totally upending the the religious economy of the place too. This is uh, you know one of Josiah's descendants. Jesus is going to come and overturn the tables in the temple in his own time but he's doing this too he's overturning like the entire religious economy of his of his capital city and he brought all the priests out of the cities of judah and he defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from geba to beersheba and he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of joshua the governor of the city which were on one's left of the gate of the city however 
The priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Himmon, that no one might burn his son or daughter as an offering to Molech. Good. So he's just going out there desecrating everything that was made sacred, quote unquote, scare quotes, to the idols. He's desecrating it. That's what desecrate means. He makes something not sacred, not holy anymore. And uh, you might remember um, the valley of Sanhedrin, the sons of Hinnom. Um, uh, what when Jesus talks about people's oh going people going to Gehenna, uh, he would often when he says like do this and you're gonna go to hell. He says you're gonna go to Gehenna, and in Hebrew, gay means valley and henna um, is Hinnom. So this is the Valley of Hinnom. That's what he's talking about. And so this is when this valley, which was devoted to Molech, where there was um, idol worship and the, the the human sacrifice of burning children to Molech, um, it happened in the Valley of Hinnom. And Josiah's the one that turned it into a garbage dump um, so that in the days of Jerusalem, it maintained, which was centuries later, it was still a garbage dump. And he removed the horses that the king of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. Verse 12. And the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and all the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, he pulled down and broke into pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Hidron. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with the bones of men. So he's taking all these sacred places, turning them into graves. And again, note the reference to Solomon's fall. How he loved these foreign women and welcomed their foreign gods, maybe not into the temple, but he made sacred places for them around Jerusalem, and that worship um, had an effect. These choices of Solomon had an impact on Jerusalem for centuries, and we're told that there was a time when Josiah the good king went and undid these sins, and desecrated these places, and got rid of these idols. Verse 15, Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed, who had predicted these things. Okay, so this is like a book ago when... Um, Jeroboam was setting up this false worship. An unnamed prophet went and said, you know, someday they're going to burn bones on this altar. He got in trouble for it. And now here's Josiah near the end of the lifespan of the uh, kingdom of David uh, as a nation. Uh, it's being fulfilled through Josiah. Verse 17, then he said, what is the, that mom, monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. 
timing, right? So he goes and does it, and then he sees this altar that's been there for a long time. He says, what is this thing? And they're like, oh, yeah, that, that's the thing that said you were going to do what you just did. Uh, and God's word is true. I may not have mentioned it, but yeah, like one of the great themes of this book is that God is faithful to his promises. His positive promises, like telling David he's going to have a son on his throne, and his negative promises, um, which such as this, this false uh, altar is going to be desecrated by somebody coming up, and it's going to take a while, but it will happen. Verse 18, he said, Let him be, let no man move his bones. So they left, he, let his bones alone and the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah removed all the shrines, also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which, king, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. So, Josiah is actually taking a little tour north in his zeal to cleanse the land. He's actually kind of out of his own territory and going to the historical land of Israel. I'm not sure who actually would have reigned on these northern territories, but he's, he, he's taken his holiness bent on the road and is um, thus fulfilling prophecies that had remained unfulfilled for generations. Verse 21, And the king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover of the Lord your God, as written in the book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Okay, so this paragraph floored me when I first read it, or when I first understood what I was reading. Because what it's saying is in a time span of hundreds of years no one kept the passover and we might think as bible readers you know moses told them to keep the passover over in there in deuteronomy and in exodus so they must have been doing it um and just not mentioning it well no they had it even excuse me even like solomon didn't keep the passover it's saying here that no one had kept the Passover since the days of the judges. Maybe that included David because David, um, Samuel covered the end of the period of the judges. But for centuries, no one was keeping the Passover. And so, uh, and I, this just floored me. It floored me that this was so lost. And so when you hear about Josiah finding the book of Moses and you hear about how no Passover had been kept for such a long time, you just begin to wonder, um, well, it kind of explains things. They weren't reading their Bible, but you just wonder, like, you ju it just clicks, like, wow, they were just so detached from God's will as he had preserved for them in Holy Scripture, in the Law of Moses. They just weren't reading it, and, and of course, they were thus not obeying it. But Josiah brings the Passover back in his reign. Verse 24, Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book of Hilkiah, the priest found in the house of the Lord. Okay, so it's coming back to the book that was found. Um, this is this is the end of Josiah's life summary here, and there's a bit of a inclusio or bookend. Um, it starts off with him finding the book. It ends with a reference to all the good stuff that happened in his life came from finding the book. Are you finding the book? 
Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. And I'm even wondering if it's even like including David. I could be wrong, but it's Josiah was unique in his zeal for biblical godliness. Verse 26, still the Lord did not turn from burning from burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said my name shall be there. So it's somewhat of a complex theology, to me at least, that Manasseh's reign was so bad that God determined there would be an exile. I mean, he'd even prophesied it through Isaiah before to Hezekiah, but uh, Josiah's zeal and holiness delayed it, it seems, delayed the exile, but it's still impending. And so I think the prophet here just wants to let you know Josiah got a reward. His generation got the reward of his faithfulness and their obedience, but it didn't erase the history and the history was going to come about and in following kings um, they are evil and kind of deserve the exile but because Josiah would not have deserved the exile God rewards him with not doing it and is patient um, until there's a king who is worthy of the exile it seems like to me but I could be wrong so but that makes sense to me verse 26 still the Lord did not oh wait verse 28 now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to uh, the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates. And king Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo as soon as he saw him. Um, and again, speaking of uh, places that are important in the New Testament, um, the Battle of Armageddon, that is the Battle of the Mountain of Megiddo. And so... Josiah made Gehenna, the garbage dump that reminds Jesus of hell, and Josiah dies in the battle of Armageddon, where the good king is, is killed. Um, but that, that valley there, or this mountain there, becomes the battle site in a prophetic picture that John talks about in Revelation. So interesting that Josiah's life has both those locations that have a huge symbolic value in the New Testament mentioned in his lifespan. Um, verse 30, And his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo, and brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoiahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. And so Josiah's reign ends with that battle. Um, verse 31, so this is a long chapter. We still have another like 10 verses to go. Jehoiahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. And Pharaoh put him in bonds at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and laid on the land a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. So, Pharaoh is the bad guy here in this generation. He goes to Jerusalem, defeats the king, and deposes him and puts in his own puppet 
puppet king that's going to be loyal to him. And what these conquerors would do in order to build up their own economy so that they could pay for their troops, most likely, and to keep the subject nations poor so that they couldn't pay for troops, they exact a heavy tax on the land. And if you remember, centuries later, the reason Jesus is born in Bethlehem was because the Romans were laying a heavy tax on the land. Just like this, they were taxing Jerusalem to increase Roman power, to keep Jerusalem weak, and pay for their soldiers, and that taxation is going to be what brings the descendant of Josiah to the place where he's prophesied he's going to be born in Bethlehem. But in this case, Pharaoh is the one doing the exacting. 34. And Pharaoh made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the place of Josiah's father, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoiahaz away, he became, and he came to Egypt and died there. And Jehoiakim gave silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give the money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and the gold of the people of the land from everyone according to his assessment to give it to Pharaoh Nikos. Yeah, so just like I said, the foreign power says, you owe me money, and the kings go out and tax it from everybody else. And so what's happened yet, Pharaoh Nico just kills Josiah, goes to Jerusalem, takes the heir, imprisons the true heir, hauls him off, um, puts somebody else who doesn't have quite the rightful claim to the throne, which somewhat destabilizes the kingdom, makes him a puppet king, and then sets him to the, tax, to the task of taxing his own people. 36. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zabida, the daughter of Badiah of Rumah, and he did what was evil and said to the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. So he's not a good king. Very interesting, though, that Jehoahaz... I'm not sure, like, because he's, he's, it says that he was evil in the sight of the Lord, but he didn't actually... He only reigned three months. Just enough time for Pharaoh Nico to kind of decide what to do with him. Um, but maybe there was just no prayer like Hezekiah, no humbling himself like Josiah. Uh, maybe he just wasn't a man of faith. And this was his evil, that he wasn't the man of faith, just like many of his fathers. And so um, there's, there's more like he's judged by his lack of doing anything. There's no story of him being hauled off to prison and then praying to God from there and being restored or anything like that. So I, it's, it's hidden. It's gapped. We're not told what's going on. But if I had to guess, I would guess there was just a lack of the humility that made other kings great coming out of Jehoahaz here. And with that, we conclude chapter 23. And we've only got a few more chapters to go, so I'm just really grateful you're sticking around. And may you be blessed in the hearing of God's word.